Alright, hey everybody, uh, welcome to Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I am Andrew. I'm Tara. And this is part 22 of our 3,726 part series wherein we randomly select a movie from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, uh, watch it, do a little research on it, and then tell you what we thought about the movie and what we learned. So in our last episode, we watched The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese. Makes the best fucking films. Best fucking films. Well, and so I would like to officially upgrade my rating to a don't not watch. Sometimes I think I have to really sit and think about a movie for a while before I can really gather my thoughts and my feelings about it. And for me, this was one of those. I knew I liked it immediately, but I just didn't know how much it was going to stick with me. Even to the point where the next day I woke up thinking about the movie. I mean, that is as good a reason to upgrade it as any. Although, I, we are going to have to run that past the board uh, the, <laughs> to see if we can get approval on that. So, it's, it's pending upgrade in the rating. Hey, cats, what do you think? Cats, uh, associate producers, Colin and Stanley. <laughs> what do you think? Stanley shook his head. I don't know. Oh. Well, we'll figure this out later. It's, yeah. it, this is kind of like, you know, people don't want to know how the sausage is made with the podcast. So, it's... Uh, <laughs> Like a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe we should watch the movies twice to give ourselves time to process the movie before we record anything. And then uh, we watched Down With Love, and I was like, oh, no, that's a real bad idea. I could not sit through this more than once. Uh, yeah, exactly. So The Last Temptation of Christ is definitely one of the movies where I think we could have done two watches before recording. Yeah, I mean, you're getting our, our raw, immediate, unfiltered opinions, for better or for worse, so... Yeah. Deal with it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, or <laughs> please, please deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> please don't stop listening to the podcast. We need all four of our listeners to keep listening just to motivate us. So this week it is Andrew's turn to randomly select a movie from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. So please oh boy. close your eyes Here and we go. prepare. Okay. Stop. You've selected The Junk Man. <laughs> uh, that doesn't sound like it's going to be nearly as good as The Last Temptation <laughs> of Christ. I'm just going to say up front. Right, here is how they categorize it. Bang! Action. Vroom! <laughs> Chases and races. Okay. Uh, well, so be it. Directed by H.B. Hallecky. Director slash writer slash producer slash stuntman Hallecky stars as a fantasy version of himself. A stunt-driving movie mogul chased through the back roads of Southern California by assassins. Less a sequel than an ambitious follow-up to his lean, mean speed machine of outlaw cinema, Gone in 60 Seconds, Hallecky expands his tire-squealing repertoire with a complicated plot that juggles multiple stories and a murder mystery, which is the film's biggest weakness. Hallecky is better at directing cars than actors. And he's best when executing the elaborate chases and jaw-dropping stunts that range from the farcical to the spectacular. The film never recovers from the adrenaline rush of the first act, but Stone, as Hellicky's easygoing publicist, and Axton, as his easygoing self, help keep the sliver of a story rolling. For all the spectacular wrecks and twisted metal, the 150 cars destroyed put him in the Guinness Book of World Records, Hellicky is the rare action director who takes pains to show his bystanders emerging unscathed as the film roars on. The sound remix is terrific, and the new score unmemorable, but energetic and appropriate to the material. That, that doesn't sound awful. <laughs> no, we've seen worse. We, theoretically, we've seen we've worse. Theoretically. I mean, well, we've read movie 
descriptions in this book and already thought it was going to be a worse yeah, movie. Yeah, a sense of foreboding. We'll see. Yeah. So we will be back shortly after watching The Junk Man <laughs> and uh, boat rolled up beautiful bean footage. <laughs> I'm happy about being back. I'm happy about being on the other side. <laughs> oh, God, I wonder oh, what oh. our oh. wonder what we might have possibly thought about this movie. Huh. <laughs> Shit. Hmm. Might have tipped, tipped our hand uh, a little early, but yeah. So we're gonna give our pre-spoiler rating here uh, on the scale of don't watch, maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and don't not watch. On the count of three, we will tell you our ratings. You have a rating in mind, right? Oh, yeah. You? Uh, I've got a rating, yes. So, one, two, three. Don't, Don't watch. watch. Um, yeah, we just reread the blurb from the guide because it's been over a week since we read it originally. And they were much kinder to this movie than I think either of us are about to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, so let's, let's, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, shit, shit talking here <laughs> very, very quickly and sighing. Well, I think we got a lot of our sighing out of the way when we were watching it. Yeah. But let's talk about uh, what we did like real briefly because it is going to be brief. It's going to be super brief. There's a pig in it. So yeah. So I like that. I like pigs. So yep. that, that part was pretty, pretty okay. Uh, the end credits were very awkward yes the end which, credits uh, we were fascinated by yeah the end credits are very fascinating because i think there's a lot of cars in this movie it's a very car heavy movie as you may have gleaned from the the blurb in the book uh when we read it a few minutes ago and uh, so the end credits is this sort of proto industrial kind of well it's kind of like you know those pictures you see of cars with like hot chicks posing with them yes it's like that and then some of the actors from the movie but it's not a still photo right it looks like it's that prank that people pull sometimes where you say oh like i'm going to take a picture of us and then you just have the person staring awkwardly with a, a fixed expression on their face and so it's several several shots of that of the people who are in the movie sitting in cars looking awkwardly while this weird music technically kind of yeah we're gonna the, okay yeah that's, that's, that's pretty close that's a pretty close approximation um, it would have been more entertaining if someone was just going yeah possibly i think it would have been an improvement it would have been cheaper personally. for them i think to, well. to have done that <laughs> save some money um but we're so the whole movie is available on youtube and we obviously do not recommend watching the whole movie but we do recommend watching the credits because it's bizarre so we will link to that in the show notes the opening credits are also kind of bizarre yeah, in opening, a very different way yeah though. okay so let's let's talk about that so we rented the dvd from scarecrow like we do and the DVD opens up with an introduction 
by um, the director, writer, star, H.B. Haliki's widow, talking briefly about the movie, how it was remastered for this DVD release, and she talks about how 150 cars, planes, and trucks, and motorcycles were destroyed during the making of it, and and all this. And she mentioned that that twice. Twice, in the the exact same phrasing. Yeah, it's like, okay, but it's not, it was like a three-minute opening thing, too. It wasn't like we had forgotten that that's how many cars were destroyed. (laughs) Or that they were in the Guinness Book of World Records for it until it was um, overtaken by Matrix Revolutions. And she talks about how it also showcases his collection of toys, uh, like oh, 200,000 toys, I think she said. Well, like, and cars. He cars had like a toys. crazy amount of cars too. Yes. And so much so that he had this warehouse that's the size of a football field. Just full of like toys and cars. Yeah, which um, apparently... Seems excessive. It, yeah, definitely excessive. And I guess uh, looking into it later... Um, I saw that he, like, bought pretty much all of that with the money that he made from Gone 60 Seconds. So yeah. he accumulated that quickly, because this movie was 82, and that was 84. So, like, eight years, I guess. It's maybe not that yeah. quickly. Well, and I think in both movies, he pretty much owned all the cars that were in them, which seems like an awful, awful waste. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's the other thing I, you know, just in general about these movies, where they have these really excessive crash scenes. I just think, what a goddamn waste. Even before the movie started, I'm, like, just the fact that they were touting the 150 vehicles getting destroyed as, like, a selling point, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is... Boy, boy, humanity, we could be doing a lot of things with all the effort and resources and money that goes into making... 150 cars and smashing them right so yeah she's talking about this collection of cars and toys and then the movie opens with <laughs> this fucking bizarre like title diorama sequence. Yeah. sort of there's like these wooden planks that are carved into different shapes and painted with the credits for each person and then in this little sort of diorama thing they've got set up they have that and then like different collections of his toys and they're not like all necessarily car related either. No, it's just there's like a toys. little, there's like a little Ferris wheel that spins and like other things. Yeah. So it's just kind of like here's some of my toys. Yeah, here's my stuff. Here's my stuff, guys. So, Which is kind of a lot of what happens in, in the movie. Exactly. Just in general. I was just about to say that it, it's a movie that's very clearly just like showing off. I well, guess. I don't know if he was really trying to show off. Is more like sharing the things he liked. A lot, not necessarily a hundred percent ego based, yeah. But it definitely played a part, yeah. Uh, particularly when we start getting into the plot, yeah. We'll talk about that. Anyway, we're kind of getting sidetracked here, yeah, yeah, so yeah. We shall we just go yeah. back into the movie? Yeah, we'll just let's, like start with that. So the title sequence is weird, and then it opens up with this phone call from some guy getting orders to kill this movie director stuntman. Then it immediately cuts to the aforementioned stuntman, played by Hiliki himself. In a pretty semi-autobiographical role. So we see him like putting together footage of his character's history, like from when he was born through to getting married and having a kid, and then his wife dying. He's a widower in the movie, and that doesn't really matter. Nothing really matters in terms of the plot in this movie. We'll just really. throw that out there right now. At first it seemed like a montage scene. And it just was, like, overly gratuitous and just went on and on and on and really poorly done. And then it ends up being a tape that someone ejects from a VCR and it's like, movie director, film, home videos for award ceremony. It's like, that's what's printed on it. Yeah. 
And this guy then takes Hollis, the main character, his headshot and like crumples it up angrily. <laughs> so yeah. someone's out to get this guy. And it's just so. <laughs> so here's what you need to know about the plot. Here's all the plot that happens in the first hour, I would say, of the movie. Yeah. There's a James Dean festival that's happening that our main character is going to. And it's his daughter's 16th birthday. And uh, someone is trying to kill him. That's it. That's the plot for the yeah. first hour. That's and it. it. Basically, it's just a whole bunch of like shittily shot, quote unquote, action sequences, I would say. Not even seeing, calling them action sequences is kind of giving them too much credit. Kind of mediocre car chases and then interspersed with all these shots of the people that are going to the festival being interviewed by news shows or whatever and then showing them getting into accidents as these assassins are chasing after Hollis. These awful assassins that are just like, oh, I'm just going to kill anybody that's going to this festival. Yeah. And uh, one of them's going to end up being the guy we're trying to kill. They set out like with a very clearly defined goal and then that immediately goes <laughs> out the window and they're just like, well, we'll just fucking give, just kill. Kill, kill, kill. That's what we got to do. Well, I, I have to say, even before we got to the point of them starting to kill, I, I was suspicious of this band of criminals. Like, they're they're in a room hatching the plot. Like, oh, this is what we're going to do. And the guy who's directing this whole plot to kill Hollis is pointing at everything with a fucking candy bar. Yeah, 100 grand. 100 grand candy bar. Very uh, it was shoestring so budget. So that's literally an hour of the movie. Yeah. And just, like, add in some super awful stereotypical yeah. depictions of, like, both French people and Mexican people. Yeah. Just for fun, I guess. You know, because it's it's hilarious to have people be stereotypes. Yeah. And to a small extent, like, rednecks also, because there's oh, yeah, the, the guy definitely. with the pig. And bizarrely, an Amish family in a horse and carriage. There's so much weird shit in this movie. They just they were throwing everything at the wall and just hoping that something would stick. And it's just bad. And it's just so much throwaway stuff. It's like it's yeah. all throwaway stuff. None of it is really relevant. It's just like here's this weird thing that we're gonna just shove in here and see if somebody likes it. And you're just gonna see it for a couple seconds and it's gone. Speaking of <laughs> editing, yeah, the editing is just constantly cutting from one scene to another like each scene is maybe a couple of seconds long it just it feels very unfocused and just cutting back and forth between scenes in a way that does not need to be done so earlier in the movie we went you know right at the start we were talking about that video and the faceless killer who's crumpling the headshot of hollis in the background there of the scene there are several newspapers strewn about and one of them has a story on it where it says Warner Layton named editor of the year. Uh, by the way, that was actually the editor of this movie, The Junk Man. Um, I'm not sure that he really deserved editor of the year. Yeah. Unless you're considering good editing as like, oh, you can fit a whole bunch of scenes in a movie. Yeah. Most editing. If you yeah, want to most, give edited for most editing. <laughs> most cuts. Yeah. Uh, then A plus. Get him that trophy or whatever award you would get for that. But a pair of scissors. Yeah. Uh, and tape. That's what I'm gonna give him. Yeah. Okay. Let's find out if he's still alive and yeah. just mail that to him. <laughs> and end up going to jail for yeah, being some like, really weird threat. Here's your award. Editor <laughs> <laughs> of the year. We got you that award finally. <laughs> You know, there's kind of that uh, trope of 
chase scenes in action movies where it's, it's parodied at this point but it's where they've got the setup for something like somebody's walking a sheet of glass across a street or there's like a, a fruit cart that's um, rolling across the street and you're like oh a car's gonna crash into that for sure that's basically what the movie is for that first hour just like showing yeah. things that are setting up for a car to get crashed into and then the crash happening and then there's just like no other point to it just re- over and over and over mm-hmm. again it's like there's like a thousand people in this movie it feels like like the the old lady they show her buying this new car at a car dealership and slowly merging into traffic and they're like oh i know where this is going right she's gonna get involved in one of the crashes here mm-hmm. coming up and then there's like a couple other scenes of her slowly driving you're like just when are they going to get to the fireworks factory with this shit? And then, like, maybe ten minutes later, they follow through on that by showing Hollis crashing into her car, tearing it in half, basically. And it's like, it just, I don't know, it just despises... All logic. All logical, coherent storytelling. So, at the end of that hour-long action sequence, Hollis dies out of a car at the last moment before it gets exploded... And everybody thinks that he's dead, and so he's kind of on the run, trying to track down who it is who... You know, on his own, without going to any police or anything, and being like, these people are trying to kill me, help me. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> somebody suggests that he's like, I'm not going to go to the police. I have to find out who's trying to kill me. It's very important. It's like, oh, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to find out who's trying to kill you. Oh, gee, well, no, I, that's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... <laughs> I'm not sure where your priorities are. <laughs> so the guy's like, okay, I'm just going to find him on my own and, uh, you know, someone sell me a car and a gun. So he goes to hit up Hoyt Axton. So Hoyt Axton is uh, the, the singer-songwriter of the 70s song Convoy, and he's in this movie as himself. And so that's who Hollis goes to, to, to get a gun and a car. And So this reporter and her whatever video team meet up with hollis he runs into them after he escapes and they realize oh there was a headshot that he had taken that nobody should have yet so that must mean that a person who's setting this up is someone within his own company so he basically goes to his property to try and figure it out and he's kind of like snooping around so it turns out the person who's trying to kill him is his brother-in-law and manager and he's placed a bomb in, in yeah. a car uh, that is going to be present at the screening of Gone in 60 Seconds, which we didn't talk about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so it's supposed to be that Harlan Hollis uh, was the person who made Gone in 60 Seconds. And his brother-in-law is basically like jealous of that and, and feels like he should have fame money. and the glory or for some reason. Yeah, so he... He's the one who's behind this attempt to kill Hollis. And the other thing about that, too, is, like, to help help the movie do well. So, like, not only will Hollis be killed, but he would just then, like, reap the benefits of Gone in 60 Seconds, like, getting all this extra attention because the filmmaker was killed. So, this guy is obviously super smart. Yeah. What a great plan. And he tells Hollis... Nobody would have ever fi- figured that out. No. He, he tells Hollis that he's going to become the beneficiary of Hollis's death after he murders him. And he says this, like, while he's in front of a big crowd, like, on top of a building, but there's a big crowd that can clearly see what's happening. Yeah. So they're gonna know who <laughs> They're gonna figure him. it out think pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then his brother-in-law falls to his death, and... And then 
Hollis goes on to his daughter's 16th birthday party. Yeah. And, where he gives her a car. And then it leads into... This, that, the cool credits. Right. So... <sighs> I mean, it's kind of... When you distill it like this, it kind of sounds charming and stupid in a hilarious way. But it really isn't. No. It's... I think we made it sound more charming than it is. It's really kind of painful to watch this. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't watch. So we kind of mentioned very, very briefly the weird soundtrack. And what we found out later is that when the movie was being remastered in the early 2000s, they decided to replace the original soundtrack, which was full of like rock and roll and country music, and put in some crappy generic synthesizer. So that seems to me like it was a very poor decision. I don't know how bad the original soundtrack was, but I feel like it would have been way more appropriate than that weird like 80s... Although... Just with like the uh, the ending credit sequence, I feel like having that weird, cold kind of yeah, uh, it's true bizarre collection of scenes of people staring blankly at the camera with the the frozen smiles on their faces. I think it really it is the high point of the movie for sure. So for sure, yeah, I think th- yeah, that's like the one place where I'm glad that they put that crappy music in. Yeah, the rest of it just it fit really really badly. Yeah. So yeah, apparently you can find the original version um, if you can get your hands on a VHS from the 80s, but they're apparently pretty rare. Um, the movie really did not do too well when it came out. So Hiliki put a lot of the blame on that on the film distributors and the theaters that were showing it, saying that they were not abiding by the MPAA's rating of PG. Instead, they were giving it, when they were displaying it in their theaters, they were saying that it was rated R rather than PG. And so he actually filed several lawsuits against many different people, claiming that that is what led to the movie doing really poorly at the the box office and what led to its being removed from the, the theaters like two weeks after it came out, it looked like. I think it came out on August 26th and then it got removed from theaters on September 10th from what I was seeing. Yeah. I mean, it's America, and there was a painting of a lady with her boobies out in the scene. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was the most offensive thing, yeah. I think, that was in... I think that was his actual bedroom, too, I read. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah. So, there was a reviewer who referenced violent language in their review of the movie, and that was edited out prior to the movie's release, but the reviewer saw, I guess, an early cut of it, and so... Uh, Haliki was filing a lawsuit against that reviewer because he said that the review led to people staying away from the movie and then the whole issue with movie theaters displaying the wrong MPAA rating uh, also caused him to file lawsuits. He was very lawsuit happy around the release of this movie from what it sounded like. So I think we kind of mentioned it seemed like he was really part of why he made this movie was to really kind of show off all of his stuff. So he had apparently the world's largest toy and automobile collection, which sat around untouched largely for a few years after his death. Then finally, in the early 90s, the whole lot had to be auctioned off due to litigation, yeah, or was, at least almost all of it. I was trying to find out like what, what caused that what litigation was. It, I, yeah. At first, I thought it was this whole issue with the um the ratings and with the, the failure of the movie but it didn't seem like that right. was, it didn't like, seem connected at all i couldn't find anything really on that for sure so 
there's that and then the fact that a lot of his actual properties and vehicles and everything were used in the movie and then as we mentioned, this is, for the most part, I think the the first part of the movie where it's showing this guy who owns a junkyard and then, like, ends up making these movies and somehow gains success. That stuff is real about Halicky. That is all legit taken from his life. But we thought it was kind of like a weird ego trip to make the plot of his movie being that someone's trying to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a weird yeah choice to make. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems really kind of egomaniacal to an extent. But also, there's something weird about that whole setup that I kind of like. Yeah, and it, it is kind of like a fantasy version yeah. of himself um, to a degree. Like being, the you know, embroiled in this murder mystery and then like going out and finding who it is and Yeah, so I mean, the, the concept is clever. It's just done so poorly. You're yeah. just like, ugh. Um, and one thing that I thought was interesting was that the, when they're shooting the car chase scene early on in the movie, that actually was for a stunt that was done in his next movie that he made. So kind of integrating previous and future movies into the, the storyline of this movie that, that he was making. That's really kind of cool. Just poorly executed. Unfortunate that it was done so badly. Yeah. So something I thought was really kind of amusing is um, that the U.S. theatrical movie posters announced that this movie there was going to be a novelization of this movie. Yeah, how was that going to work? Um, I have no idea how they were going to fill a whole novel with story from this movie. Yeah, unless they're like going to super get into his backstory and like his whole life leading up to this point, or maybe they're going to go into all those like millions of people we see <laughs> yeah. for a half a second and yeah. like give us all their backstories. Every and... like two page chapters. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's some French people and they're wearing berets and they're driving slowly. And they and have then... scarves on and little striped shirts and they go ah ha ha. That's literally pretty much how the they were shown in the movie. the movie. Yeah, yeah. So. um don't uh, don't watch the junk man. Probably don't watch the junk man. Maybe watch the end credits just to see that awkward footage. But yeah, definitely do watch the end credits. Like I said, I, I will link to the version of what I found on YouTube. Uh, queued up. Notes. Yeah, I queued up to the credit sequence so you can see just that part, and that's like you need to see really. Thumbs down. With regret. Always with regret. Yes. I do feel bad. Like when we. Well, definitely. For the most part, people are making movies hoping for the best, you right. know? Yeah, everybody's intentions are good going into a movie. For the most part. Makes me a little sad when I come in and trash <laughs> yeah. trash someone's uh, once baby. Right. And just knowing how many people work on a movie to put it together. Right. It's just like, sorry, you've got to know when you're working on a bad movie that it's a bad movie. Like, um, apparently not necessarily. Well, you're thinking about Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You don't always know it's going to be a bad movie. I think that's a special but... exception to me. <laughs> I mean, the people that are like closely involved with like yeah. the, the movie may not have an idea if they're oh, too close to it. But like yeah, the people yeah, yeah. that are key grip on a movie, they probably know that yeah. it's going to be shit. Just like, uh, I just, I need money. So I'm going to do this shitty movie, I guess. Like we all do. Yeah, we, we, we all do things for money. Because yeah. <laughs> we got to. to so, degrees. Um, Runner soda, ginger ale. Uh, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's, uh, it's real good. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> refreshing. 
Fist quenching. Um, you know, we came down pretty harshly on it because of that first hour where it's just car crashes and stuff. And we should say that we are not averse to watching car crashes or people, you know, doing dumb stuff. We spend a shameful amount of time, I would say, watching Fail Army videos on YouTube. We like seeing stuff blowing up and cars crashing into things and whatever. Yeah, we're not snobs who are turning our nose up, just to make that by clear. No, by no means. like <laughs> We're not claiming superiority. No, this, this should have been right up our alley, but it, it was not. What I was kind of saying is the guy seems to have been around in the wrong time period. Like, if he was around now, he could just be putting things up on a YouTube channel, you know, like just making different crash scenes and, and, you know, that's all, that's clearly what he wanted to do is like have these crash scenes and, and show that. Yeah. And the plot seemed to be fairly secondary. It's just like something he had to do in order to get all these crash scenes on film. Right. And in front of audiences. Yeah. So at this time, I'd like to say thank you to the terrific band Boat for allowing us to use their song lately off the album Setting the Paces. Thank you, Boat. Thank you, Boat. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, whatever your podcast retrieval service of choice is. We also have a Facebook page, Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Uh, of course, our website, TaraAndAndrewVerses.com. And I kind of cringe at, at saying this, but if you are enjoying the podcast and you want to keep listening, please do consider liking our page or subscribing to the podcast. Just, you know, if you if you are, you are so inclined, yeah, please do so. Yeah. If you have any feedback or if you want to talk to us about the movies that we've discussed, you can always email us at terraandandrewverses at gmail.com. So with all that being said, uh, I think I'm going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Catch you later, potato hags. Catch you later, potato hags. Potato hags.